I just love the idea of the two of them going on this like secret society kind of like Nick Cage type of end of the world Armageddon art heist. Awesome. Yeah. You don't like Nick Cage or heists. <laughs> I know I'm like listening like is this going into heist territory? Yeah. But with your bestie who you want to make out with. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Anyang SAO, welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, romance novelists, and your K Romance guides. So grab some duck bokey and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. So, you know, we are multitasking ladies. We sure are. <laughs> I'm not even looking at you two right now. <laughs> so today, you know, we have busy schedules, so sometimes we have to record pods at, you know, different times. So right now we're kind of doing it earlier in the day than we normally would do, and that's fine. However, there is a very big kind of like cultural zeitgeist that's sweeping the country right now that is not K-drama related, <laughs> that is not K-pop related. It is Taylor Swift. And right now, as we speak, Amy is, where, what number are you in the queue? I'm 582 and I started out as 1027 just like two minutes ago. So I know. Dang. Like right when we had the plan to record this is when Amy had a window where you bought a new credit card. Is that, or not a bought, but you've gotten a new credit card. I applied for a Capital One visa last night (laughs) so that I could get in the queue for the Capital One presale today. And that's where I am right now. And I am not a Swifty, by the way. I like her just fine. I like Taylor Swift. But my daughter is a Swifty, and my daughter's never been to a Taylor Swift concert. And she's going to be in Chicago for three nights. We already have plans for one of the nights, so we can't go. So I've got two options here. And it's at Soldier Field, which is, you know, like where the Chicago Bears play a huge football field. And I know people who were in the Verified Fan presale yesterday who waited in line for hours only to get tickets behind the stage. Oh my God, I'm number 327. So, you know, everybody like thoughts and prayers. <laughs> yeah. So we thought it would be fun because we're like, look, we've made plans to do the pod right now. And I think that it is fun to, you know, go live with wacky stuff. So let's see if uh, while we are recording this, Amy's going to get lucky enough to get Taylor Swift tickets <laughs> so we can celebrate for her daughter. Because you know what? I don't think any of us are Swifties. Is that correct? I mean, I appreciate Taylor. Of course. Yes. Same. I like Taylor, but I would not call myself a Swift. But we all know what it feels like to have banana fan experiences, correct? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when I tried to get AT's tickets, that was just like a cluster of epic proportions. Like I did not get AT's tickets. I was in like the queue. I think the whole thing froze. It was a it was a disaster. So I ended up getting AT's tickets on like SeatGeek later because that just was not happening for me. But I go in a week and a half. I go the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I think this pod will be out after that. Yeah, I think so too. Yes. So as you're hearing this, I've already been there. But as of now, I have not gone yet. <laughs> I'm very excited. And you've seen them once already. And we do have a whole pod with you yes. and your daughter uh, about your experience. And she wants to do another one. Like, she's like, we're going to do another pod then about the concert, right? And I was like, yes, we will. Because she's like all excited about it. Oh, my God, you guys, I'm number 17. I'm 17 people ahead of me. Are you serious? I would be 15. (laughs) That dropped so fast. I am shaking a little bit. I'm really nervous. (gasps) Oh, my God, I'm in. 
one, okay, one person. Go, okay, go. So we're going to let Amy get okay. quiet okay. and do what she's got to do. If you hear squeaking, <laughs> panting, moans, that's the Ticketmaster experience. <laughs> Her face. Oh my gosh. Wait, I don't even think I'm really in. Her face is like so it says the next sale really starts at you. 2 p.m. Central, which is in 45 yeah. minutes. And so I'm oh in, God. but I'm not in. I don't really know if I'm in. I don't know if I need to like, get in the queue again. I don't know what's happening. You might be in the waiting room and then you wait there until two. Okay. Until, you know what I mean? Because it, it says arrive 10 minutes early and complete these steps so you're ready to go. Sign into your account. Check that your payment info is correct. Event details can be blah. I know I'm in Ticketmaster, but I don't know if I'm supposed to be in this page now. Leah's like the army, the army Ticketmaster. Well, expert. I know because I... <laughs> You've battled it a lot. Well, yeah, okay. So I mean, do like, I stay yeah, here or do I log in again? Like, that's what I don't know. No, do not log in again. No. Okay. Do not leave. Okay. I'm just staying. Okay. 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 You just stay where okay. you are. Okay. But wait, what is it saying at the top? <laughs> like, it should be giving you, if you're in Ticketmaster, it should be saying, like, where you're at in your journey. No, it just says 43, it just says 43 minutes until the next sale. And then important event info, Capital One cardholder presale tickets are limited okay. to six Okay, so I think what happened is my guess is that you had to go through some sort of Capital One gauntlet that just let you into now Ticketmaster. Maybe. Like when you were in that wait, was that a Ticketmaster waiting room? Yeah, it was Ticketmaster. Hmm. But you're meant to be sell- buying the ticket at two. Yes. And it's only 117. Yes. So I, I wonder if I was accidentally in the verified fan presale that was still going today. Like that's what I'm not sure about. Yeah. So I think, okay. Yeah. You are not about to buy this ticket or you were in some sort of Capital One gauntlet that like now you're in route to wait. And look, I am not an expert at this. I feel like to become an expert, I need to be like consulting with, you know, Megan's husband, Neil, to get like the most high powered computer that like can move at like the speed that like doesn't actually like, you know, almost like defies human experience. Last week, uh, my daughter's a stay and we've talked about how, you know, she, she's on the army journey with me and she likes BTS, but really her heart and soul is with Stray Kids. And she missed seeing them last summer because we were visiting grandparents overseas. And so they've come back. I got tickets the first round. <laughs> I know other people didn't. Now I've like somehow absorbed that experience. But anyway, I was there ready to go. Like they didn't do a pre-verified sale or whatever. Like you were just going in raw dog. (laughs) You get so sweaty. Like you do. And so I'm there. I'm like ready to go right when like the thing opened 10 minutes ahead of time. I was was, like, boom. And it was like 2000 plus wait, you know? And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm just like in the wherever. And so it was like after like 40 minutes, I got down to where it's like, you know, you're at 800, 500, 400. So like once you start to like get under that one, th- once you're out of that 2000, like you do start to drop pretty quickly. But then mm-hmm. like that little box starts coming up. That's like tickets are running out. And I'm like, oh God, like it's going to get sold out. <laughs> and then I got in. But one thing that Ticketmaster does do, look, I'm not going to say anything complimentary, but one thing they do that's not horrible is at least when they are letting you in for like what I experienced it's not first come first serve. They kind of open things up in these batches. And so I came through like 45 minutes into the sale when I got let in, but there were still like one off floor seats. 
And there was like, you know, and I got us in the, like the very beginning front of like the first balcony. Nice. But people who were in there ahead of me, like I was watching it on Twitter unfold, were getting way worse seats because I think like, you know, it just depends when you pop through to get it. So yeah, I did first row in like the 100 level balcony because my daughter's the same height as Megan. And I, so A, I wasn't going to be split from her in the floor. And secondly, she wasn't going to see shit in the floor. Yeah. I don't um, ever get floor seats. Like, uh, there's just no point. I mean, I mean, I'm going with my daughter, so I wouldn't. But even if I was just going, like, by myself or with a friend, I never would get floor seats. I can't see anything. Unless you're at the barricade and, like, you know, sun's sweating on you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't. True. But I would also probably get, like, smushed. So when when I went to um, ATs in January, the floor seats were also seats. Like, there were actual rows of seats. And then the news came out about this tour, which this tour does have um, a center, like, catwalk that we didn't in January because of COVID. And um, so this tour is a center catwalk, and word is that the floor seats are not seats. Like, it's just standing room only. You just, Ooh. like, yeah, it's like first come, first serve. So, like, whoever gets in is in and gets the front. And that sounds like a nightmare to me. And especially with my daughter. And but dangerous. Yeah, actually, I'm not even using my daughter as an excuse. I don't want to do that. Like, I do not want to do that. So I got us like some cushy <laughs> actual seats, <laughs> um, which we're, we're kind of like right near, we're like lower level right at like the end of the catwalk. Do you know what I mean? So I'm kind of excited because that means when they mm-hmm. come out on the catwalk, you know, I'll be able to see them. And I'm really excited. Songwa has his blonde hair and... Blonde hair song was my favorite. He's my bias. So I cannot wait. And it's a very sexy tour. These men are coming into their sexy villain era. I am here for it. It's, it's going to be great. So I'll talk all about it. Break the wall. Yeah. Break the wall. I just want to chant break the wall. That's like a line in uh, their latest single. And like, it's like a thing. Like that's part of the fan chant is you yell break the wall when they're yelling break the wall. It's like screamo in this song. So I just want to yell break the wall with like 20,000 people and then I'll be happy. How's it looking, Amy? Still just in the... So I just tried doing it on my phone, and it says you're already in the queue on another device. Yeah, no, so don't do that, because it's going to yeah. F you up thinking you're a bot. No, I did. I, I, I did. It said confirm if you can't get through, and I just cleared out. Thinking you're a bot. <laughs> I yeah, love no, it. I cleared out. So I'm just staying. Yeah, I'm just staying. All right. I should read my thing first, because yeah. now I've got 36 minutes. Yeah, actually, and yeah. <laughs> it's going to let you in probably 10 minutes ahead of time. You'll go into the waiting room. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, let's, let's get to it then. So look, we're bringing back our popular, uh, second male lead SOS or second lead SOS. It's, I think it's like a listener favorite at this point. You guys seem to really like it when we give characters a happy ending who didn't get a happy ending in their original show. So yeah, that's what we're doing. Another second lead SOS installment today. And what's exciting is So we've done, obviously, our first was truly a second male lead SOS. And then we did do a second lead SOS where we included, obviously, the heroines. And now we do have a different one tonight because Amy is doing a second couple lead SOS. I am. So I will get to it because I need to get back to Ticketmaster. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm doing a combo SOS for Jun Kyung, played by Wan Jian, and Suk Jun, played by Nam Taehoon from If You Wish Upon Me. Leah, you don't know these characters, but Megan and I really fell for them in the drama. And while 
We like where the drama ended for them. We could have watched a whole other drama of what happens to them after that ending, one where they might find happiness together. So that's what I'm attempting today. If you have not watched If You Wish Upon Me, this SOS shouldn't spoil much, but feel free to pause and come back if you don't want to know anything before you do watch it. So a little bit of background about these two characters. Jun Kyung and Suk Jun were both orphans at the same orphanage. Jun Kyung had some major abandonment issues and locked onto Gyo Rae, another orphan, and our hero, played by Ji Cheng Wook, from a young age. This relationship grew so toxic that as young adults who could only make a living working for an abusive gangster, she saw their only way out as joint suicide, so it was pretty dark. Suk Jun was always jealous of Gyo Rae because he was secretly in love with Jun Kyung, and that made for a pretty violent relationship between all three. I won't go any further into If You Wish Upon Me because you should watch to see how this all plays out and how these people may or may not find their ways to healing at the end. But right now, I'm going to skip ahead. And I also do want to point out that um, Megan and I talk about this in our If You Wish Upon Me pod, which you will have access to before this one. If You Wish Upon Me, we loved and had some great emotions and you know, we cried, we laughed, but it also does get pretty bonkers in the last few episodes. And so I kind of latched onto bonkers for this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So here we go. So Ha Jun Kyung, who used to have codependency issues, has now done a full 180. She's not only living independently, but aside from check-ins here and there from Gyo Rae and Yeonju, she keeps everyone else at a safe emotional distance. Getting close to anyone only makes her think of Suk Jun and the dysfunctional relationship that almost killed them both. But she hasn't heard from him since he was released from prison and realizes it's probably better this way. Jun Kyung's YouTube channel, or did they call I think they called it MeTube. Is that what they called it in the drama? I think so. Something. Where she turned from cam girl to boxing workout girl has earned her some mild success. So much so that her therapist, because hell yeah, she's in therapy, introduces her to the owner of a boxing gym, Park Jung-hoo, who also happens to be retired Detective Park. Someone who she knows well from her days working on the other side of the law, along with her short prison stint. He's caught the work she's doing on her channel to encourage troubled teens to turn to exercise rather than crime, and he wants to offer her a job. Her publicity will be good for the gym, which is losing money with the after-school program that he offers to teens for free. Jun Kyung happily agrees, especially receiving this second chance from someone who knows her from her troubled past, and she vows to do what she can to save the gym so he doesn't have to sell it. When her mere presence and publicity isn't enough to drum up more paying business, she suggests an MMA tournament to Detective Park, and he likes the idea, like a, you know, a local junior tournament, especially since his police officer connections will make it easy enough for him to get a permit for the event. Jun Kyung gets to work publicizing the event on her channel and vetting prospective fighters. They'll be able to sell tickets to the live event and also to streamers who will watch virtually on her channel. This will be the boost the gym needs. Meanwhile, Jong Suk Jun has been out of prison for six months and is barely scraping by doing odd jobs for the few people who will hire an ex-con. When a stranger, an associate of a man known only as Hyun, contacts him to help pull off what he promises to be a lucrative job, Suk Jun turns him down, wanting to go on the straight and narrow. But then he gets fired from his current gig as a valet parking attendant at a hotel when a customer's car gets scratched. It doesn't matter that he wasn't at fault. He was the easiest scapegoat because of his record. Deciding that his only way out of this vicious cycle is to see what Hyun has to offer, Suk Joon contacts him to find out what the job is. Hyun's associate tells Suk Joon it's easy. 
He heard Sukjun got into plenty of impressive fights in prison and always came out on top. All Hyun wants is for Sukjun to enter a local tournament and win. The only catch is that Hyun gets to pick the opponent, a quote-unquote old friend to whom he wants to send a message, and Sukjun has to get him against the ropes, in the ref's blind spot, and land an illegal elbow blow to the back of the head. While not a professional fighter, even Sukjun knows that this is an illegal move and one that could kill a guy or seriously injure him. Hyun's associate tells him how much money he'll earn from the wager because he's going to bet on him because, you know, there's some uh, gambling going on here. And Sukjun realizes it'll be enough for him to go far away from Seoul and start fresh. So he reluctantly agrees. Aside from the upcoming tournament, Jun Kyung and Detective Park decide to offer registrants a discount to train at the gym, which will give business an added boost. All goes well in the early weeks before the tournament until a face Jun Kyung hadn't planned to see again, Suk Jun's, appears before her at the registration desk. He's not nearly as surprised to see her as she is to see him, and he readily admits he subscribes to her channel and has been keeping tabs on her to make sure she's okay. Affronted, Jun Kyung explains that she's taking care of herself now, and she reluctantly enters him into the tournament and registers him to train at the club. She laughingly tells him that in his weight category, he'll be facing her boss, Detective Park, someone she describes as a world-class fighter. Suk Jun already knows this will end badly, especially if his opponent is a former cop and Jun Kyung's boss. If he backs out now, he knows that Hyun will hunt him down. He's either a dead man with no job or a rich man with a new life, so he soldiers on. But the weeks training at the gym bring him closer to the woman he's loved since he was a kid. Only she's a stranger to him now, this independent yet distant person, and he can't help wanting to break through and reach her even if the day of the fight will be the last time he ever gets to see her. Jun Kyung spends her days at the gym working on her own technique, working the front desk, and sneaking peeks at Suk Jun while he works out. His buzz cut has grown out, he has scruff on his jaw where he used to be clean-shaven, and he has a body she never imagined to lay under his clothes. He's also surprisingly great with the teens who come in after school, a hyung to the boys like no one ever was for him. One night, they are the only two left in the gym, and she challenges him to spar in the ring, because the one thing that she hasn't gotten past in her two years of healing is the way she hurt him and the fact that he went to prison for her. Suk Jun says no, but she eggs him on until he all but chases her into the ring. Once there, though, he refuses to throw a punch. He does his best to parry hers, but he will not strike, which infuriates her. Finally, he pins her against the ropes, the two of them heaving with years of pent-up emotion, longing, and regret. Still, he doesn't make a move. Finally, she kisses him, and it's wild and violent, just like their pasts, until it isn't. It ends tenderly with him telling her that he doesn't blame her for his mistakes, but if she feels the need to settle the score, he promises they'll be even after the fight. She begs him not to do anything stupid, that they have their chance to start over, but he only kisses her again and leaves. On the day of the fight, Detective Park reveals to her that he knows Suk Jun is meant to mortally wound him. Years ago, when Hyun was a kid and nothing more than a petty thief along with his older brother, Detective Park chased them down after they robbed a convenience store. Hyun's brother let Hyun escape, taking the fall and going to prison, where he was killed in a brawl. Suk Jun is going to be Hyun's retribution. If Suk Jun succeeds, Detective Park is leaving Jun Kyung the gym. If he survives, all the better. Either way, Detective Park has had his own ulterior motive for the event, to help take down Hyun and his illegal gambling ring. He's banking on Hyun showing his face at the fight, since he has yet to learn who the adult Hyun really is, and intends to ferret him out and put him away once and for all. When the fighters and spectators show up, Jun Kyung confronts Suk Jun in the locker room, tells him that she knows everything, and demands that he forfeit. 
She tells him that she knows he's better than this and that they can have a better life together if he only tries. But he explains that he's been trying and keeps losing. He even lost her. He brazenly tells her that he loves her and then heads off to fight. Once in the ring, he knows, by the look in Detective Park's eyes, that Park knows what this is all about. Only one of them is walking out of this ring alive. Either Suk Joon kills Park or Hyun kills Suk Joon. Joon Kyung watches in horror. They each land a few good blows. Suk Joon's nose bleeds and Park's eyes swell shut. Suk Joon makes his move, cornering Park against the ropes and into the ref's blind spot, but not into Joon Kyung's. She sees Suk Joon whisper something into Park's ear, and then he lands the illegal elbow strike to the back of Park's head, sending him sprawling to the ground. Joon Kyung screams. The spectators sit in rapt silence as the ref counts, all except for one. A man not much older than Suk Joon rises from the throng and strides confidently toward the door of the gym. He nods at someone unseen, then leaves. Soon after, Suk Joon is declared the winner, and Detective Park rises as if never struck, because he wasn't. If we had the going back and watching the scene from the other point of view, we'd see Detective Park and Suk Joon training late one night. Suk Joon loves the gym, loves working with the teens, and loves Joon Kyung. He does what he's never been able to do before and trusts, confessing to Detective Park and asking if there is any way out from the mess he's gotten himself in again. Together, they choreograph the fight, Park's loss, and hope that Hyun makes himself known. What they don't count on is Hyun planning to tie up loose ends by getting rid of Suk Joon. The person he nodded at was the ref, who, after holding up Suk Joon's hand as winner, pulls a knife from his pocket with his free hand. Suk Joon sees nothing, and Detective Park can't get to the ref. But Joon Kyung sees all. She launches herself into the ring and at the ref. Suk Joon sees the knife only after Joon Kyung roundhouse kicks it out of the ref's hand, her foot also clocking the ref in the jaw and knocking him out cold. Detective Park springs out of the ring and chases after Hyun. Joon Kyung stares at a bewildered Suk Joon, her fist raised and ready to strike. Threateningly, she tells him to never scare her like that again. Then she says, Sarangye, drops her fist, and throws her arms around him as they kiss. Ah, I love it so much! <laughs> it's so over the top, just like the drama. It's ridiculous. I love it. 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 I love but it. it made me feel like the end of the drama. Like, it's in the description of the podcast. Like, there is a full-on gang fight in a hospice. Full-on gang fight so, in a hospice. Yeah. I how, how do we how do we not have a romance taking place in an MMA fight like with a <laughs> I love it. I love it all. So. I love it. It's so great. <laughs> I would I would absolutely 100% watch that. I mean, obviously my love for Fight for My Way shows through here a little bit, but you know, I took a little bit of a different spin. Hey, a little bit of a different I love spin. Fight for My Way too. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> That's cute. And you know what? I can see Jun Kyung and Suk Jun like I can see that like occurring. You know what I mean? I liked it for them. Well, why don't I go next, just especially so you can hear the same Amy, drama. I did uh, the same drama. Okay. So, and I am sorry to the listeners, but, you know, there were a lot of characters in If You Wish Upon Me, and the drama really sucked you in with emotions, and so I felt compelled as well. There was, you know, a second male lead in uh, If You Wish Upon Me, and yeah, that's who I chose. So Yang Chi Hoon, played by Shinju Huan, is the type A, slightly uptight doctor at the hospice in If You Wish Upon Me. He likes working out, rules, and wearing tennis sweaters. <laughs> in If You Wish Upon Me, he had a crush on our favorite hospice nurse, Su Young as Yun Ju, but she only had eyes for Gyo Rei, played by Ji Chang Wook. Can you really blame her? Not at all. <laughs> no. 
But still, Dr. Yang is a sweetheart. And as soon as he realizes that Yunju is gone for the new volunteer, Gyo-rei, he steps back and supports her. And he supports Gyo-rei as a friend. He's a nice guy, almost too nice, which is why I think I want to pair him with someone who's going to push him a little bit out of his comfort zone. This isn't a spoiler, but in the very last scene of If You Wish Upon Me, a new volunteer shows up riding a motorcycle and wearing all black. She gets off her bike with an attitude, and you know the hospice is in for some more drama. Hopefully not another gang fight in the lobby, though. <laughs> anyway, the volunteer is played by Lee Yumi in a very fun cameo. We all know and love her from Squid Game and also from All of Us Are Dead. And she's perfect for Uptake Doctor. She isn't named in If You Wish Upon Me. She's just like in the credits as like young woman or a new volunteer because it's just like a, a cameo. So I'm just going to call her Gian. Gian doesn't want to be volunteering at the hospice, but she's on probation for a crime she absolutely does not regret, as it involves stealing a pack of abused animals from her neighbor. Still, it's a crime, and she's been told she must complete community service. She doesn't want to work with people at the hospice. People are annoying and selfish, and that includes the new doctor who tells her that she can't wear her perfume because it irritates the patients. Objectively, he's cute with his glasses and white coat, but he's also the exact kind of guy her parents would love, which makes Gian dislike him on principle. They clash repeatedly in the hospice. Dr. Yang is always singling her out just to reprimand her. So one day outside the hospice, uh, while it's pouring rain, Jian hears mewing and finds a trio of dirty and very malnourished kittens. One looks near death. And as we know, Jian loves animals a lot more than humans. So she scoops them up frantically and runs right into Dr. Yang, who steadies her with one hand and looks at the furry bundle in her arms with concern. She tries to nudge him out of the way, but he refuses and tells her she can't drive her motorcycle and hold the kittens. And she stops because, well, he's right. So he takes her to his car, which is worth more than she could ever afford. She's wet, muddy, and the kittens are covered in fleas. But Dr. Yang doesn't even flinch when she gets his seats dirty. He speeds directly to a veterinarian who he seems to know based on their greeting. And if you've watched If You Wish Upon Jingu. Me, it's, of course, Gil Ray's friend. Chingu. <laughs> so the vet takes the kittens in and immediately begins to save their lives. Jian wants to stay with them, but she's shivering from being wet and cold. Dr. Yang insists he takes her home, and when she stumbles getting out of the car, he ruins his perfect clothes by carrying her into her tiny apartment. She's a little embarrassed at the state of her place, but Dr. Yang doesn't even flinch. As she showers, he makes her ramen and then leaves her with a note that he'll check on the kittens. Jian ponders the note as she eats the ramen. Her parents, while they had money, were cold and neglectful. A nanny raised Jian along with her dog, who was her best friend. Jian responds to the neglect by rebelling and didn't stop rebelling even when her parents cut her off and kicked her out. She doesn't mind her tiny apartment or her life and has been content to keep her distance from people. But Dr. Yang is starting to thaw something inside of her. When she returns to work a few days later, Dr. Yang instantly finds her to give her an update on the kittens. He also takes her to visit them, and she laments to the vet that she can't keep them because her apartment doesn't allow pets. The vet said that's no problem, that Dr. Yang has already offered to take them if she cannot. As much as avoiding people for so long has worked for her, she wants to do something nice for Dr. Yang, something fun. He's always so polished with his perfect hair and nice clothes. She saw him one time with a sweater tied around his shoulders. That just will not do. So as a thank you for taking care of the kittens, she plans a day of fun. 
Of course, for Dr. Yang, it might be less fun, but she takes him to amusement park when she insists he rides all the rides and eats all the sweets, even as he complains about the sugar in their cotton candy and the health effects of too much spinning on the rides. But by the end of the day, his hair is a mess, he has stains on his shirt, and he's laughing a lot. As for Dr. Yang, he can't believe this infuriating woman who pushed all his buttons has forced him to get a little messy, and the weird thing is, he loves it. At work, Jian turns into a gold star volunteer. She's more patient, she smiles more, she helps more, and in her downtime, she visits Dr. Yang's home to visit the kittens. When her community service end date looms, she begins to realize she's no longer visiting Dr. Yang to see the kittens, she's visiting to see him. After her last day at the hospice, she decides to visit Dr. Yang's home one last time, to see the kittens, of course, but also him, except he's not there. So she lets herself in and finds herself stupidly upset that he's not there and that he doesn't want to see her one last time. But she knows she doesn't fit into Dr. Yang's life. There's no future for them, right? So she sniffles as she's petting a kitten and then notices a little note tucked into the kitten's collar. She takes it out and it reads, please don't leave me. And then <laughs> Dr. Yang walks through the front door with flowers and a large, large hunk of cotton candy and asks her if they can date. They kiss the end. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> I love him at the amusement park talking about the effects of spinning. <laughs> He'd be like this, this, I don't know. He would say like, this hurts your brain or something. I don't Very know. He would. Cute. He totally would. So I know it was like super, super sickly sweet. Oh, I love it. I love it. I was in a sweet mood. So it balances out my super, super over the top. Yeah. Yeah. And I had fun. I was like, I was in an animal mood. My kittens have been ever since I came. No animals died. No animals died. Yeah. Ever since I came back from my conference, my cats have been like really, really like cuddly with me. I'm like, oh my God, they finally like me over my daughter. This is like great. Like my kitten right now is like in the corner of my room in a chair and it's really sweet. So yeah, I was just in like a kitten mood and I just like, I love any sort of like tough character who just like doesn't like humans, but is a total like goober for like a tiny helpless kitten. It's just my favorite thing. So that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Save the cat, right? Yeah, I think it's really cute. And it makes me want to see the drama. It's like, honestly, it's Amy and I talked about it in the podcast, you know, for listeners who haven't seen If You Wish Upon Me, you can listen to our podcast, but we both really enjoyed it. And most of the people that have seen it did really enjoy it as well. It's just, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> But in the best of ways. But, like, coming off of Little Women that was, like, ridiculous from, like, episode one to the end, like, If You Wish Upon Me isn't like that. It just goes, like, full mock-jong, like, in the last Yeah, it goes really crazy at the end, but that's not – the majority of it makes very much sense. (laughs) Yes. Do you feel like it goes full bananas at the end because they kind of decided that they weren't sure what they were doing, so the writers just went full bananas? Or does it feel like it was intentional? No, it's because there's one storyline that is. is bananas, and it's like the monster storyline, and that that was threaded the whole way through. You just didn't realize it until you found out who this one character was, and that whole storyline is full on bananas, but you don't realize it until people get revealed. Yeah, I remember like it's it's interesting because when you, the, you first watch, like I remember when I started the drama, just because the the title um, sequence at the very beginning is like really like blah 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 like all happy and cartoony and I'm like okay this is what this is going to be and then it starts with him like getting out of jail and you realize there's a gang in this like <laughs> it's like a violent gang on like the yeah. backdrop of like this hospice and and so you know it's like coming but you also don't know 
how much it's gonna like go uh right. crazy at the end but i lo- i loved it i don't care i loved every minute of it like my character for my sos suck june is after ji chang wook's character in episode one like as soon as he walks out of jail he's chasing him so down you know it's to get money coming, he's but still yeah anyway it was i i thoroughly enjoyed it ji chang wook's fantastic in it all the side characters were really great like everyone put their all into this drama for sure well leo what do you have for us I actually don't even know what you're working on. I have no idea. I don't either. Okay. So we did Little Women recently. Yeah. And we all watched it. I think we all enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Yeah. And in it, you know, we have the story of the three O sisters. And I felt as if, you know, the relationship that I was rooting for the whole time was one I never got on screen. And that was the relationship between the youngest sister, Owen High, who uh, was like the Meg March stand-in, if you know Little... Or not Meg March, Amy March, if you know Little Women. And her bestie, Hyo Rin. Yes! <laughs> Absolutely. So I really was shipping them the whole drama. They were like high school besties. And we just never really like got that relationship. They were like perfect. I felt like... They were like soulmates. Yeah, so I decided to do that for myself in a drama mock-up that I have called Three Letters. (laughs) And this is basically just a setup, and I leave it, like, on kind of, you know, you're going to see how I did it. But basically, I just give the setup, and then I peace out, and we can, you know, this is fanfic, we can all, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're doing. fanfic exercises. (laughs) So I could certainly continue going with it. But, you know, I pulled I pulled out right as we kind of get into the meat of the story. Yeah, so let's get to it. And I'll kind of give you where I was thinking this could all go. So Owen High can't paint. And this has never, ever happened. Every time she picks up her brush, dips it into the paint, and sweeps it across the canvas, the result is nothing more than sad, disjointed lines. She's been living in her artist's bungalow in Panama's jungle, Except for the occasional letters with her sisters and the coming and goings of household staff who leave her meals or keep her home tidy and a pet sloth she feeds mangoes, she's been alone. And maybe that's the problem. Her best friend, Hyoi Rin, who'd fled from South Korea with her and has been the only person she's ever really, truly loved and trusted in the world, has been gone for over a year. And so just to reassure both of you, Hyorin is not gone as in she received a mysterious blue orchid <laughs> and subsequently yeeted herself <laughs> off a building like her father. <laughs> nor did she liquefy herself in a pond of hydrochloric acid like her mother. <laughs> the truth is far less dramatic. Hyorin left to pursue, well, what? This is the issue. Hyorin had decided she didn't know who she was without her parents controlling her life choices or living within in high shadow. So one day she left with nothing left behind but a letter saying she needed to figure out who she was to be worthy of someone like Inhai, whatever that means. So Inhai has been telling herself she doesn't mind. She has her art studio. She's got that sloth out in the tree and she has enough embezzled money to be comfortable for the rest of her life. So then why over the last year since Hyorin's absence has her artistic inspiration dwindled away? Frustrated beyond measure, Inhai decides there's only one thing left to do. She's going to burn her art in a suitably dramatic fashion because, look, she's the youngest in her family. She's always been a little spoiled. And right now she's just having a bit of a tantrum. So on a humid afternoon, she gathers all her canvases, paints and brushes 
and as she stands over them with a lit match, a mail carrier pulls up on the muddy jungle road and beeps the horn twice. Startled, Inhai drops the match, and the oils are up in flames. So, look, Inhai really was just kind of being dramatic, but instead she actually does burn the shit out of all of her art. And that's what she gets for indulging in the dramatic. Nothing but ashes. Maybe she's no, not so different than her horrible mother after all. Maybe it's time she finally reunites with her sisters and gives up on painting altogether. The concerned mail carrier, shaken by the young woman crying next to her burning art, gives her a single letter. It's a heavy, expensive cream envelope, and her name is written on the front in golden marker. But it's not the quality of the unexpected letter that flutters in Inhai's heart. It's the script. This is Hyorin's handwriting. Opening it up, she's half excited and half disappointed. There's no letter, no explanation or apology for why her best friend left. It's an invitation to attend the exclusive Hong Kong Arts Festival. And there's an address. Hong Kong, is that where Hyo Ri has been? Inhai is half tempted to throw the invite on the smoldering fire as well. Anger is just hitting her sharp in the gut. Who does Hyo Ri think she is? But that's the problem. Inhai knows exactly who Hyo Ri is, and she is wonderful. Inhai knows what a real sister relationship feels like, and Hyo Ri is different. From the way she's always spoken to her, to the way she's cared for her, to the way she's taken so much interest in her life, it was also vastly different from any relationship Inhai has ever known. Let's face it, Inhai's family is a mess, so she was never a girl that easily relied on other people, but she'd always known as an absolute fact that Hyori was her go-to for any problem or issue at all. And it was nice having someone who would drop anything and go to the end of the world for you. They weren't sisters, and the friendship felt deeper and different. Because sometimes, Inhai wakes up in the night and it's like she can smell Hyori's perfume in her sheets, or feel her hair under her fingers. And sometimes she's wondered what it would be like to kiss Hyori. Maybe she's wondered about it more than sometimes, and maybe it's all she ever thinks about. And that is why she hasn't been able to paint or barely function since her friend left. Inhai is in Hong Kong within 48 hours, and she isn't telling her sisters about this decision. Because what if they don't understand? She barely understands herself. Plus, as much as she knows that Inju and Inkyung don't blame Hyori for the fact that her parents were bonker murderers, they are clearly skeptical on the um, young girl. So Inhai arrives to the address listed on the invite, and it's a penthouse in the peninsula, the fanciest hotel in the city. And there, inside all the splendor and guilt and glam, is her sweet friend, Hyori. As Inhai runs to greet her, her stiletto heel catches on a Persian carpet, and she ends up falling into Hyori, knocking her over and landing lip to lip, eyes open in mutual shock. The connection goes on a little too long. Afraid that Hyori can feel her pounding heart, Inhai pushes off and crawls backwards to get space. All she can taste is Hyori's cherry lip gloss. Inhai orders herself to get it together. Now that she's here, she's got too many feelings churning inside her, and she's also upset. Why did Hyori leave her without the word? Hyori confesses that she wanted to find a way to be worthy of Inhai's affections and has become immersed in the world of art collecting with the goal of becoming a well-established curator who can propel Inhai to the fame she deserves. But something horrible has happened. One of the premier pieces in the upcoming Hong Kong art festival she's helping run has been stolen. It's a Renaissance masterpiece, and worse, Hyori is being framed for the crime. Somehow, demons from her family's past have come back to haunt her. Joy Ri needs the only person in the world she trusts to join her to solve the crime and clear her name. What comes next is a world of underground art deals and a secret society that believes in a coming Armageddon, and that clues to doomsday are hidden within the missing painting. 
But what Hyori doesn't know is that through all the coming chases, including a high-speed water taxi chase in Venice and a fistfight in Paris catacombs, is that Inhai has one last letter hidden in her purse. It's a love letter, and it's addressed to her. I love it! I'm screaming! I love it! What are you talking Seriously, about? Seriously, You're like, awesome. I'm not happy with that! What are you talking about?! Well, I felt like I just did, like, the set. Oh, that was it's so fun, good. I would, it's super fun. I would totally read the rest of that. There are no rules to second lead SOS. Yeah. I just love the idea of the two of them going on this, like, oh my God. secret society kind of, like, Nick Cage type of end of the world Which Armageddon. I think is hilarious. Awesome. That you went You there, don't like Nick Cage it. or heists. And you wrote <laughs> I know. I'm, like, listening. I'm like, is this going into heist territory? Yeah. But with your bestie who you want to make out with. Yeah. That's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I love it. I love it so much. But of like Da Vinci Code mixed in. Well, I know what I don't love is that I got kicked out of the queue and had to rejoin. Ugh. So where are you now? Now I'm in the waiting room. So I think that I was there too early that <gasps> it was like connected to the last sale because now it says I'm in the waiting room. Okay. And now it's giving like Capital One direction. So before I think that I was not in the right place. Okay. So you're in the right place now. I know, but I, I'm nervous. So it's opening up in five minutes? Yes. <laughs> you know what? While you're reading, I think that we are not, you know, we're not going to cut out yet. I think, you know, we're a bit, this has been a bit quick. And I think that, you know, I want listeners to come through this whole experience knowing the cliffhanger. If you yeah, it's going to be so not. sad if I don't, though. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Think like I know. That. Manifesting. Well, I'm going to get him. I'm gonna actually, get him. I'm gonna, my daughter's going to think I'm her hero. Like, it's going to be amazing. Well, I do have a story. While you're doing that. Is that okay, Leah? Or did you have something you wanted to say? You can tell your story. And then I have some, I just want to, um, I've got some K-drama questions, but okay, let's hear your but story. But I might piece out of your story in a minute to focus, you know. That's fine. Well, you've heard the story. On my other I, mean, I, I, I want to tell a story that you guys have already heard, but I really need the listeners to know. And I feel like it's related to the SOS because it's hard to write. Okay. And so I had this conversation with my husband Neil. And we do love Neil on the pod, but sometimes he just doesn't relate to me well. So he was watching House of the Dragon. Uh, I have not watched it. Leah has. And he loved Game of Thrones and he loves House of the Dragon. But other than that, he doesn't watch anything fantasy related. Anything. He mostly watches like political thrillers and reads nonfiction books. Okay. So, I mean, I don't even know if he's ever read a fiction book in his life. So... I have read the Game of Thrones books, all the ones that are currently out. I have read them. It's been a while, but I read them. And so he comes, he's watching House of Dragon. He comes to me one time while I'm making dinner and he says, so George R. R. Martin created this like whole family tree. Like when do the books start? And I was like, the books start, <laughs> the books start the same place that the show does. And he's like, but there's this like whole history. And I said, I know he created a whole history and he refers to the history, but like the books take place the same times G Game of Thrones does. Like this House of the Dragon is like, it's in the books kind it's, of. It's a prequel. But it's a prequel, it? but it's in the yeah. books. It's not just in the books in the present, if that makes sense. And he's like, but there's this like whole family tree and like he just created this whole history. And he's like, that's just amazing. And I go, yeah, I go, it, I mean, it is. I'm, I, George R. R. Martin is a, is one of a kind, for sure. And I said, but that's what fantasy authors do. Like, that's what they all do. Like, they all have, like, histories and family trees that take place before their books start. It's like the part, it's like world building. And he looks at me and he goes, 
Sure, and so does any family story yeah. worth its salt. And again, as Leah said, our son is named after a family saga. Our son is named after the Thornbirds, <laughs> if anyone's read that. Anyway, and 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 so I said, you know, that's that's just what fantasy I mean that's what all authors do, but that's what fantasy authors do, especially. And he's like, but that's so much work. And I just look at him and I go, What the fuck do you think I do all day? What do you <laughs> think I do? I said, oh, look, I write alien romance and I also have an entire history of the planet that takes place before my books start. Like, honestly, what do you think writing is? And he's just like, but, but, but. And I was like, stop, because now I'm offended. Now I'm offended. <laughs> and you're digging yourself a hole. And now I'm pissed. And I, I was honestly a little mad because I was like, am I overreacting? But like, I'm a little pissed that he thinks it's like, what, fucking easy to write a book? And I complained to you guys. I, like, got on Slack and I was like, I need to bitch about Neil. And it's not like you're new. You've been doing this for, like, a decade. Yeah! <laughs> and he's just now taking note of Wait writing is hard. Wait the finger to Neil. And I think my, uh, yeah, and I think one of the, the funniest comment was Leah's, like, read a book with a map in it, Neil. <laughs> I was like, right? Like, has he never read a book with a map in it? Like, has he, like. Has he heard of Lord of the Rings? I mean, he, we watched all the Lord of the Rings movies, but he's never read them. So he has no idea that, like, I don't know if he thought that that wasn't really in the books. Like, the whole history of, like, the Ents and all that stuff. Did he not think that that wasn't written? It was all written. Oh, I could have killed him. I could have killed him. Get him the Cimmerillion for his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Be like, here, read this painful ass. Like, the most hipster. I don't think... Are, you like Lord yeah. of the Rings, Megan. Amy, I feel like you like them. Yeah, I love Lord of the Rings. I read them all. Yeah, I love Lord of the Rings. And Neil also yes. loved Lord of the Rings movies. I didn't read The Cimmerillion, and I don't plan to. I have to. not read that. I call bullshit when people tell me that The Cimmerillion is their favorite. I feel like it's the most hipster Lord of the Rings right. thing to say. Is like, oh, I just love The Cimmerillion the best. I'm like, it is like reading the Book of Revelations. <laughs> like, if I wanted to, like, get drunk and, like slog through some shit sure but i mean i had people tell me that and i'm always like i've never yeah. read that but anyway i think yeah. i read the trip like the lord of the rings trilogy and i read the hobbit i think that's all i've read like i don't it's like the creation story that goes back to like the founding oh. of the okay. earth it's like essentially the genesis of okay. middle earth yeah that mm. and the world before right <laughs> mm. okay now i'm 2000 plus in the queue there you are so fuck you yeah, Ticketmaster. yeah <laughs> Yeah, you might be there for some time. Okay, so thank you for listening to my story. I just had to tell listeners that because it was a thing. I'm over it now. Well, maybe I'm not over it. I'm a little over it. I'm a little over it. But I guess it's just like, you know, and then he's like, well, you don't understand what I do. And I was like, uh, no, but I also think it's incredibly difficult. I respect what you do. So whatever it is. respect. Yeah, you're not like, oh, my God, Neil, did you know that there's engineers that like program? <laughs> Did you know it takes like they write hours? actual code like the Matrix? <laughs> they do that. <laughs> see, thank you. Oh, see, that's why we're friends. You guys validate me. <laughs> yeah, I know. Got you. Thank you. Okay, so this was my question: is I because I actually don't know, and I'm curious. I thought we could all just maybe talk for a minute about um, what we're all watching. Yeah, sure. And if we're recommending it or not. 
I am watching this really great drama called Goblin or Guardian, <laughs> the Lonely and Great God. <laughs> oh my god! For like what the night? I'm rewatching time? it. I'm on episode nine of that. But then I am also live watching um, Love Is for Suckers. So I'm on episode uh, nine or ten of Love Is for Suckers. I don't know. I'm like I'm not in the one that just came out today. I'm in the one right before it. So, yeah, so I'm live watching Love is for Suckers, which is hard to do when you've been binging your top most very favorite drama. It's hard to then go to one that's not your top most very favorite drama. Although I'm I'm definitely having some feelings about Love is for Suckers that I don't want to talk about right now because I hope that we'll talk about it on the pod. Um, But I'm having some strong feelings. Some good, some not good. Same. I I have to, like, motivate to – watch more because I yeah I have feelings about it as well but I also want to get through it to be able to talk about it on the right yeah I'm at the very very beginning of love is for suckers so I don't really have strong feelings about it yet like I guess it's entertaining or so far but again I'm, I'm like on episode like three so I'm not I'm like really early I do love the heroine I do think it's crazy how they keep talking about how old she is and I'm like She's not. Yeah, that they don't do that too much after okay. like the first couple episodes. The fact that she's at, a 37. at thirty-seven, yeah, and, and also this like is ready to like check into a gym. Yeah, and this like girl. spinster, and I'm just like she's she's like doing fine. It's like four know. episodes of her sort of origin, yeah, and then it gets okay. into the the, like, the reality, reality show, show portion okay. of it. I'm not there yet. No, I was going to say as of right now, I am. Rooting for the hero and no heroine. <laughs> That's where I am right now. Okay. Hero good. The two women vying for him, not so good. I think, though, it'll be a fun... Because it's a reality dating show, the other thing I want to flag is Singles Inferno is coming yes. back for season two. I am excited. Is it like mm. December 13th? I will be that on right? that like white on rice. Opening day. Opening day, I'm like, clear my calendar. I am going back to the Inferno Island. I can't Island. wait. I can't <laughs> freaking wait. I seriously am so excited. The trailers are just like all body parts. Like, if you did you see the trailer? It's just all close-ups of like boobs oh, yeah. and stomachs. It's just fantastic. Yeah, I'm so it. excited. <laughs> <laughs> and we have done a pod on Singles Inferno 1 and how it was surprisingly hurtful. It was. And introspective for being a uh, a reality show where they hang out in string bikinis and, you know, swim trunks and flex their muscles and are basically hot people looking to, like, break into influencer Yeah, culture. I still follow a whole bunch of them on Instagram and and very much enjoy their content. Like, Ye Wan, who Leah and I both freaking love. She's the one that you – she had a butt that you could bounce a quarter off of. She shows that butt a lot on Instagram, and I'm into it. She is so pretty. Oh my gosh. But so is yeah, the same I, I people coming back? No. Oh, it's okay. not the same people. I'm yeah. just saying, I still okay. follow, I'm like saying, I like Singles Inferno so much <laughs> that I still follow <laughs> some of these people on Instagram because they're just entertaining. Well, the, the women. Because Amy never watched I did not. I'm not a reality TV person. It's Which we, is why I think it's funny I'm watching a drama about a reality TV show. I, I, <laughs> honestly... Singles Inferno is like, I know like everyone's watching Love is Blind and like, that's cool. Good for you. I I appreciate your journey, as Leah would say. It's just not for me, but Singles Inferno is for me. <laughs> Singles Inferno is for me. Leah, it looked like 
in the trailer, there's more just like sand pit wrestling. <laughs> yes, there's. They, I think it literally just looks like it's the exact same thing again. They're like back to these horrible games. We're gonna be chicken fighting. You're gonna wrestle in the sand. You're gonna be cooking with cabbages and yeah, potatoes. Still no creativity on the games. Still just throw them in a sand pit and make them throw each other out. Oh god, I can't freaking wait. I'm so excited. You know what? If the me- if it's not broke, don't right? fix it. I just hope that they maybe don't introduce like three random girls in like the final two episodes that no one gives. Yeah, a I shit hated about. that too. Yeah, I agree. Because that was boring. Yeah, keep them on there for a month. I say. Make them. I mean, I agree. I think they needed to have yeah. <laughs> just abandon. Make them have to work to shut. <laughs> just abandon them on this island for a month. <laughs> oh god! Oh god! Oh my god! Okay. So I just finished a drama that I wanted to kind of talk about. That I'm going to be doing a like spinoff pod with um, a listener who watched it because we loved it so right. much. Um, and it's called love is in the air and it's a Thai boy love. And it was freaking delightful, like truly a comfort and delight to okay, watch. Okay. So first of all, just where and can you watch this? Vicky? You watch it on the one that I always pronounce wrong. Oh, I cheat. Okay. Chi. I cheat. And it's about like two friends who are architecture students and their names are rain and sky. And I thought what they did in it was smart and that it's two best friends that fall for two best friends. But the first eight episodes are about one couple. And then rather, and then rather than doing a new season or anything, we just blunk, blunk over to the next couple. But then we don't have to like break up the first couple, you know, like the first couple gets their happy and then they're kind of like the secondary support characters during like the second story where you can just enjoy them being like a cute couple together or whatever. You know what I mean? So it felt like a nice sleep. Yeah. The thing about it that is also funny is that it. So (laughs) the main character who is one of the main leads, Pipayu, he is an architect student god, like senior graduate who, like, also is working, I guess, as a professional architect, and that he also is a custom motorcycle builder for the underground of Thai society. Yes, of course he is. And then his best friend is the champion motorcycle oh, racer. Fun. And I am not into motorcycles. But I will say that for a, B- a BL, so this is not semantic error where they're going to, like, kiss once against a wall. This is, like, it is... Spicy with a capital S, but in a way that doesn't feel just like gratuitously sexy. It feels like a sweet, intentional sexy. It, I would say it goes to like where like the Kin Porsche handjob scene went. I'd say we get to that level of heat. Wait, and we you also do? Deal with, um, I mean, yeah, like, wow. And there's some mistranslation. <laughs> there's a scene where one of them like climbs on the other and the translation is do me. <laughs> He's not saying do me. <laughs> And fans who speak Thai were like, that is not what he's. Oh, that's said. funny. <laughs> anyway, so I just wanted to give that a plug. We're going to do like a recap on that because it was really adorable and fun. Um, and then I'm watching Curtain Call right now. I'm on, I think, episode five with that. And look, this is Kong Han Nul. Everyone knows I love Kong Han Nul. Kong Han Nul has also been a bit of a challenge for me because he was in the horrifically bad pirate movie where he was great but it was bad <laughs> i remember I zero out. plot from that movie nothing remember when i the, just when know the, he had a perm 
It's but all I know. when like the penguins just like kind of came to life, like they were like Anna from Warfare. Oh my god, I forgot about the penguins. Even the murdering, the murdering penguins just out of nowhere. All of I a don't had, like CGI penguins. That was a fever yeah. dream Look, of I a movie it. watch. <laughs> Look, I hated it. I hated it, and I you know I love oh, him. God. So that was a big bummer. Yeah. And then he came out with the Insider. Which I started, and I'm okay with it. I did fall off. I mean, could I pick it up again? Maybe. But it was like gambling in jail. I just was like, it's just not really my thing. So, you know, I was like, look, he hasn't gong would me. But I was skeptical of like what was going to happen with Curtain Call. And Curtain Call, I'm just going to tell you the synopsis just really fast off Asia Wiki. But Kong Han Nul works as an actor for a local theater troupe. And even though he comes from a poor background, he is bright and optimistic and he has high self-esteem. <laughs> That's what Asian Wiki says. Basically, he's playing a character who's a North Korean soldier. So he has a fantastic North Korean dialect act, like accent. And he's playing on like kind of like a shitty backstage, like in like, you know, a small theater. So one day, an older gentleman asks him to pretend to be the grandson of an older woman who had defected from North Korea. And this older woman is actually like one of like the awesome uh it's Koju Shim, who is like the granny from Startup. Or or the the mom from When the Camellia Blooms. Like she's in like all Mm -hmm. the things. She is a she was separated from her husband and son when um the war happened through like a series of unfortunate events. Like it was like a war torn thing. And she came to the South and she founded essentially like a hotel empire. So she is wealthy beyond measure. She did remarry and she has three grandchildren. So this is Anastasia. This is what it sounds like. It's Anastasia. The story. Yeah, I think actually that could be a very good comp to what this is. And so it is now she, you know, she's reached the end of her life and she's always felt like, so one thing that they talk about in this drama is, um, you know, we have the separation of war, but there was that time in the 90s where there was this brief tease of like reunification meetings that were happening along the DMZ. So they were busing in folks from North Korea and South Korea to meet. So you could be like, hello to like my husband I haven't seen since like the war ended or whatever. So they would have these brief family meetings where they could reconnect and then they would like hop on their buses. And they kind of thought at that time, like there was some hope, maybe reunifications coming kind of like what happened with East Germany, West Germany obviously did not. And so, you know, there's this time where she reconnected briefly with her son and her grandson and then never saw them again. And so she's kind of haunted by this like pinky promise she made to her grandson of like, I, we'll see each other again. But in real life, the real grandson has gone kind of bad. And he is played by Bach Isak from Pachinko. Ooh, like the hot button down yeah. poster. But he's now like a murdering drug dealer who's like constantly no. going up to China and causing shit and like fighting people. And so when like her friend is like, you know, her, the chairman of her board is like, you know, I'm going to bring closure and find this grandson. He finds the guy and is like, fuck, like, that's not good. So that's why they have this like pseudo sweetheart grandson. That's now. This sounds awesome. Yeah. Anyway. So this is new. Yeah. So we're on episode five. It's just, Oh my gosh, that sounds great. So there could be romance. And what's fun is that he, I don't know where the romance is going to be because she has a granddaughter. But also, he has a fake, <laughs> Kong Hanul has a fake wife because the setup is that he's come with his fake North Korean wife, who's his fellow actor from the acting troupe. So they have to like sleep in the same bed. They have to like navigate all this stuff together. 
And so I'm curious, I don't know like where the relationship dynamics are going to go in it. And and she's really sweet and delightful too. And the granddaughter's delightful. So it's basically very nice, good people. Oh, I love that. Being kind of nice and good. Right. <laughs> and it's hitting the Kong Newell perfect from like, you know, what we enjoy in Kong Newell that he brought from like when the camellia blooms. So he's not as over the top and goofy, mm-hmm. but he's like a good human who's in the situation now where he's like, you know, getting paid a lot to be an authentic actor, but he also was like, I'm going to put this performance on because this woman is dying and I want to give her like her money's worth and like having her grandson experience. And is this on Vicky? Mm-hmm. That sounds great. So yeah, it's good. I don't know where it's going to go. It's nice. That it's only two episodes a week right now, but I feel like it's heartfelt. It also has in it. The chairman who like seeks him out is um, the dad from reply 1988. Yeah, who's also like the serial. It's Dong L. He's in If yeah. You Wish, he's Taishik yeah. from If You Wish Upon Me, like the guy who's in everything. Yeah, I mean, he's in literally yeah, he everything. Is. He's like the. Uh, like, I saw, I was looking at the cast. I'm like, Sung Dong Il was just in If You Wish Upon Me. Like, he is in everything. Yeah, he is. He's so hardworking. It's crazy. Yeah, he is a booked and busy, uh, very booked and busy. But yeah, I'm looking at like what the rest of them have been in. Like, you know, some of the cast were in Parasite, some of the cast have been in a lot of things that I. Let's see, chocolate, which I haven't seen yet. Secret Garden, which I haven't seen. I have. <laughs> um, Empress Key, which I have not seen. So yeah, I think it's a good cast, and I'm curious to see because I'm going to start the Chloe rewatch soon too. And so you know, it's another North Korea yeah. story, kind of. Oh, this sounds fantastic! I'm excited. For yeah, it. that's awesome. Do you want to know? I, I did you not see what I shared in Slack as far as new things that have just come out on Vicky? You have to have seen it on Vicky. I have seen it, and this is what prompted the question. So thank you for segueing nicely okay. to what we are going to talk about next. So there's a movie on Vicky that is called Emergency Declaration. And it is, I mean, when you talk about the premise, it is an airplane terrorism movie, which is not for me. But... It is MC1 as the terrorist, and he launches biological terrorism on an airplane, which basically unleashes a virus. And on the plane with his daughter is Lee Byung-hun. I know. Lee Byung-hun is on the plane with his daughter, and he is a former pilot. And he basically has to take down the terrorist. And my first reaction was, okay, so this is Train to Busan on an airplane. And I'm already having predictions about how this is going to go down and I want to watch it like 100%. Oh, me too. Yeah. It looks so good. And MC want, I like, I will watch anything he's in. I think he is fantastic. I will stand him forever. <laughs> yeah. It's the first thing I thought of. I'm like, Oh my gosh, MC one and Lee byung like, come on. That's going to be a good pairing. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, look, I love the eye candy in all of this, but I love when there's like the actors, actors, is this me being like really snobby? But I feel like Kong Han is an actor's actor. I feel like NC Wan is an actor's actor, like where I think they're very cute, but I also feel like they bring like, I mean, they're just fucking great mm-hmm. actors. And so it's always great when you get to see, and this looks like it's going to be good. I think it looks like, you know, it's going to be fast paced, but like thinky. And that's, I have high hopes. Hopefully it doesn't turn into a uh, Sabak. Oh, Sobak. Sobak. <laughs> Which was trying to be. I don't think it was it trying would. to be a thinky actor's film. It was trying. Oh, it was trying. Come on, Gong Yu. We need you. No. I we know. Need you. I am. Yes. 
so yes, Goblin, OG Gong Yu. I have a friend who is going to be visiting me um, in a couple of weeks who is going to be bringing her copy of A Man and a Woman, which is the Gong Yu uh, sad infidelity, yet he bones. (laughs) (laughs) Green, and I am not too proud to like say no to that. (laughs) He bones. Oh God, I love it. I would just like you to know that I have not, I have not moved in the queue at all. Oh no. Yeah. You're still 2000? 2000 plus. Okay. Well, you know what? Update everyone and let them know how it goes. I take heart in knowing I did that with straight kids for like 45 minutes and then I started moving and I did get seen. Yeah. And I I will say, uh, I actually remember now when I did ATs, I was in the queue for a long time and I did eventually get through. The seats were terrible, and so I decided to wait for SeatGeek, and I was right. Um, I think Taylor Swift is going to be a different story, but for I won't be able to afford SeatGeek for Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, yeah. I, I, I get it. Okay, well, up, update us. We want to know. Um, I will let you know. Okay, all right. Well, today was fun. May the gods be in your favor. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thanks for listening. Till next time. Annyeong. Annyeong. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to afternoonadelight.com. That's A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A-D-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon, where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, Annyeong!